I'm Paul Levinson, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 118, in which I read from my first novel, The Silk Code, a reading I did back in May 1999. The Silk Code wouldn't be published until September 1999 by Tor Books. It would go on to win the Locus Award for the best first science fiction novel of 1999. But a few months earlier, in May of that year, I was attending the Nebula Awards convention of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America in Pittsburgh. I was president then of the organization. And Someone asked me to record this little reading. It's about 15 minutes long from The Silk Code. So you're going to hear that reading right now, straight to you from May 1st, 1999. The Light on Light Through podcast. I'm Paul Levinson, uh, president of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. Today is May 1st, 1999, and I'm here at the Pittsburgh Marriott Hotel in Pittsburgh uh, because this weekend is our organization's annual Nebula Awards weekend, and this evening we'll be handing out awards for the best science fiction stories uh, of the past year. I'm going to read an excerpt from my novel, The Silk Code, to be published by Tor Books in October 1999. The book features the exploits of Dr. Phil D'Amato, a forensic detective, uh, forensic scientist actually, with the New York City Police Force, who has appeared in three novelettes published in Analog and reprinted in several other places in the past few years. The excerpt that I'm reading comes from the third section of the novel, and that third section is subtitled, The Subatomic Symptom. Take a look at this, Phil. Dave Spencer, the medical examiner I usually work with, had called me downtown to his examining room. What, they have a sale at the Museum of Natural History, and you pick this one up for the office? The corpse looked like it had come out of one of those dioramas of Neanderthals I had been seeing at the museum since I was a kid. Dave chuckled. The guy died maximum not more than 48 hours ago, but the bone structure assessments that just came back confirms what he looks like. Those definitely are Neanderthal specifications. I looked more closely at the remains. Still had some charred shreds of unidentifiable clothing. Now, the last Neanderthal I had seen in the flesh, as it were, was on some cable special on the Learning Channel a few months ago. There wasn't much of a face left on this one, but otherwise he could have been the cable guy's brother for all I could tell. He seems pretty far gone for someone alive two days ago, I said. You sure he wasn't frozen somewhere before the last ice age, thawed out in the last two days, and that's thrown off your estimate? Well, take a look at this, Dave said. It's not the height of fashion, but I doubt it goes back before the last ice age. He pulled out a tray from a side cabinet. On it was a blue silk hanky with hues ranging from turquoise to violet. I examined it as best I could without touching. Huh, looks like something my aunt once gave me for graduation, I said. A Sears special. Exactly, Dave said. And what? You found this on the guy? 
Dave nodded. Well, I said, someone must have put it on the fossil as a joke. Yeah, Dave said, except he's not in any way fossilized. Apparently mummified, like those bog people they keep digging up, but not fossilized. And that wouldn't explain why his general description, height, bone structure, matches that of an NYU janitor who disappeared last week. What, the janitor was Neanderthal? Dave shrugged. They say he looked like one. Well, how old is he? I asked. In his 60s, Dave replied, though no one knows for sure. He was a refugee from some place or other in Central Europe, usually cleaned up in the basement of the library, reading everything he could get his hands on when he wasn't working. Highly intelligent, according to his librarians. They say he's been around for years. I look carefully again at the corpse. So you're thinking one of our modern Cro-Magnon species murdered this bibliophile with Neanderthal genes? Dave shook his head. We haven't gotten the DNA analyses back yet, and there are really no reliable DNA profiles yet for Neanderthals. But yeah, maybe about the murder angle. Though so far, it looks like he just died of old age. Natural causes. Seems I've heard that refrain before. Tell me about it, Dave agreed. And then we also have the problem of the carbon dating. I look back up at the medical examiner. First test I ordered when I was called in on this, he added. And? And the gentleman before you is about 30,000 years old, Dave replied. Give or take the usual slim range forever. I whistled. Jeez. I've pulled an all-nighter, too, at the library, but 30,000 years is definitely pushing it. Ruth Delaney was the New York University librarian I got to interview. She eyed my papers, my face, my photo ID, my face. Your NYPD forensics, Dr. D'Amato? I nodded. My uncle was on the job for years, she said. Never made it beyond beat cop. Lots of prejudice against African Americans on the force back then. True, I sighed. But you know, beat cop isn't the worst. At least you get out in the world. Certainly the best part of the job, as far as I'm concerned. She looked at my face again. And you've been out there on television, too. Haven't I seen you on that cable show? Yep, I said. Every last Sunday of the month, 10.30 to 11 on. That's it. She appeared to relax a little bit. What can I tell you about Stefan Antonescu? Well, how about telling me everything you know, for starters, I replied. Okay, she smiled, then mused. I'll be working here 12 years this November, and Stefan, Mr. Antonescu, was here when I started. Harmless sort, did a good job, really loved his work, or at least loved being in a library. I never saw him on a break without a book or magazine in his hands. A vanishing breed, I said. Most people who haunt libraries these days do it through the Internet. Not Stefan, Delaney said. He was strictly a book and magazine man. Said he liked the feel of paper in his hands. I think I feel that way sometimes, too. Don't we all, I said. Was Mr. Antonescu some kind of student? You know, working part-time, taking a course every semester or two? A dozen or more years, though, I thought, was a long time even for an older part-time student to be working his way through college. On the other hand, I could tell already that time frames are going to be oddly attenuated in this case. Though on yet a third hand, it wasn't even really a case yet. Just some corpse appearing and a similar guy disappearing in the same place, both with Neanderthal characteristics and the corpse dating 30,000 years, which smelled like hoax or something pretty damn bizarre, even if it wasn't a case. 
I rub my hands together. More than two hands and strange coincidences seems to be my specialty. Well, Stefan wasn't really a student, Delaney continued. He may have sat in on a course somewhere along the line, but the library was his only real passion. You know, I think he regarded this place as his home. He'd come here to read even on days he was off work. Really? Is that common? You'd be surprised, Delaney said. Lots of lonely people in this world, Doctor. One or two of them find some comfort in centering their lives around our books, our magazines. Well, she shrugged, it's okay with us. I think just about every library has people like that. Sometimes they're maintenance staff, sometimes they just hang out. Are there any other janitors around here, like Stefan Antonescu, I asked? No, Stefan is the only one on the staff with that kind of love for reading. Everyone was always so shocked at first to find that out about him. You know, I, I think it was those features, those heavy-set features. People always assume that people who look like that are, you know, stupid. Well, yes, Delaney said, and so unfair to judge people's intelligence by their looks. Yeah, I agreed, especially people who look like Neanderthals. Hey, I knew a guy in college who looked like that. Everyone thought he was on the wrestling team, but his love was numbers. He, he was a whiz in my calculus class. The truth is, we don't even know how intelligent the Neanderthals themselves actually were. Maybe they were more intelligent than our ancestors. After all, their cranial capacity was larger. Stefan was a human being, Delaney insisted, just like you and me. And anyway, I, I thought Neanderthals were our ancestors. Well, it's more complicated than that, I said. But getting back to Stefan, anything special he liked to read? Delaney nodded. Silk. That was his thing. Really? As in what? Satin sheets, expensive ties, handkerchiefs? As in everything, she said. His consuming interest was silk. Just last month, I noticed him reading some physical anthropology tome about silk culture in China in prehistoric times. It was outside my area of interest, frankly. You wouldn't know how prehistoric, I asked. For some reason, the number 30,000 just popped into my head, Delaney considered. No, I didn't pay that much attention, and the book came right off the open shelves upstairs, so we have no record of which book it was. She shook her head, frowned. You folks sure it was him that the body was really Stefan's? He was such a nice man, so gentle. We don't have much on medical file for Mr. Antonescu, so we can't be 100% sure. But unofficially, yeah, it's certainly a possibility we're looking at. Now, the truth was that we had nothing on file for Stefan Antonescu. And NYU's employment records were no help at all. The man had existed, apparently. That was a fact. But other than his height, weight, hot hair, and eye color, the contents of the photo ID the university kept in their records office, nothing was on file about him. Amazing how often employment records were like that when you dug below the surface. Delaney, of course, had no idea about the carbon dating of the corpse. She'd have politely escorted me out of her office and called Bellevue if I told her it was 30 millennia old, and I was even remotely considering the possibility it could be Antonescu. It had been found in a corner of the men's room early in the morning by some temp on the maintenance staff, Juan Hassan Selin, who barely spoke a word of English but knew enough to call 911. Our people had gotten the body out of the library before anyone else had seen it. 
and Hassan, however much he might have been shaken by finding a dead caveman in the corner, simply hadn't the language to talk about it. One other thing, I showed her a picture of the blue hanky. Does that look familiar? Yes, her eyes dilated. Stefan always wears one like that in his pocket. I used to kid him about that. You're a janitor, I told him, but your hankies are better than most professors. And he'd smile and say, today's janitor is tomorrow's archaeologist. We both make our living with garbage. I smiled. Sounds like he had a good head on his shoulders, that Neanderthal. Anything more you can tell me about him? Names of professors, students who might have known him? She passed a piece of paper over to me. I thought you might want that, so I put this together for you. Eight names on this list, five students, three profs. But they probably know even less about Stefan Antonescu than I do, she said. I thanked her, gave her my obligatory card, a reminder to call if she thought of anything else, and left. It was getting past 4.30 already, and Jenna would be, home, would be back from England with her yearly conference at the London School of Economics over, so I called into the office that I'd be heading straight home. So far, the only thing that seemed to connect in this case was that even before Antonescu died, if by some insane set of circumstances he was indeed the prehistoric corpse, but it seemed that even before he had died, he didn't seem to have much of a life. He seemed a man not only out of time, but place. Well, the most likely explanation was that they were probably two different people after all, either with no connection, or who knows, maybe Antonescu had been involved in some sort of relic smuggling operation that had gone sour and had dropped his handkerchief on one of the mummies. Lots of stuff going on like that in the post-communist world. And powder from ground-up mummies had been used for thousands of years to make aphrodisiacs, some odd part of my brain remembered. But so far, no prehistoric graves from anywhere had been reported robbed. No museums had reported any specimens missing. And Dave's preliminary findings said that the corpse, that dated 30,000 years old through carbon dating, had been alive just a few days ago. Jenna's bags were right inside the door. Honey, I called out softly and walked into the bedroom. She was sleeping. She needed the rest. It was nearly 11 already British time. I started walking out quietly. Hey you, don't I get a welcome home kiss? I turned around and smiled. Jenna was propped up on one arm. I walked quickly back to the bed, knelt down, and gave her a long, slow kiss. Mmm, she said. So how was your day today? Good. I brushed her lips with my finger. A wild case cropped up yesterday. I'll tell you about it over dinner, if you're hungry. I'm ravenous, she said. I've been yearning for calamari all day. How about San Martino's? Perfect, Jenna said, and slipped out of bed. All she had on were light blue panties. I watched them walk out of the room and wondered whether we should be ruled by our stomachs or... I'm just going to jump in the shower for a second, she said. The curtain swished closed and water began pouring. I sat down in my favorite plump chair and picked up a newspaper, Yesterday's Times of London. I stopped at the small headline on page five. Neanderthal mummy pops up at the LSE. The Light on Light Through podcast. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that reading of the Silk Code from back in 1999. By the way, if you're interested in that novel, you can find a link to it in the show notes of this episode of Light On, Light Through. And I'll be back here soon with another episode of this podcast. In the meantime, enjoy. Athens, 2042 A.D. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left, again, into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Curled up with a good book says, Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Paul Levinson's Silk Code, about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries. 